Supply and Chain Podcasts. We are your hosts, Leo and Christine. We are so happy to welcome Joseph Pia to our episode today. Joseph is Growth Stage Investment Manager at Berda Principal Investment VC. He's a growth marketer and startup advisor specializing in Southeast Asia expansion. He's also author of Common Sense. You can find on josephia.substrack.com. Please welcome Joseph. We are very excited to welcome Joseph on our episode today. Hi, Joseph. Hi. Um, pleased to be here with everyone. So we'll just jump into the first question. Uh, you, from the VC perspective, do you believe it's possible to achieve 100% transparency across fashion supply chain? Okay. Um, as much as I, I mean, because we are investors in Zilingo, as much as I'd like to say that it's possible to achieve 100% transparency, but um, in the, the reality is there is no way there is going to be 100% transparency in anything. Uh, not even be the fashion supply chain, financial reporting, government pol- government policies. Uh, there's never going to be 100% transparency. Um, I think what we can gun for is probably like 60-70% transparency. Is that uh, is doing that is lingo. They're trying to digitalize, digitalize the whole supply chain and provide visibility. So visibility is not equal to transparency because it, it, it's close, but there's overlap, but it's not the same. So they're starting out by providing visibility into what's happening upstream in the supply chain, especially in the factories, uh, where the, why uh, in real time, uh, what are the defects that are happening, why they're happening. So that's visibility, right? So when, in my mind, when I think about transparency and what the, the, the retailers or, or the brands want they, want, they want to stem out things like child labor. They want to stem out things like um, uh, in unconducive living conditions for the factory workers or unhygienic working environments, unsafe working environments. And these are things that we wouldn't even get visibility on unless we install CCTVs on every, in every factory. Yeah. Right? And, and that borders on surveillance. So it's a, it's a tricky question, right? So 100% transparency, is that surveillance? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's going to be very hard to get to 100% transparency, but we can get to a comfortable level and we breach that with like trust. But I mean, this, this, this might be. Perspective, uh, if you look from Zilingo's perspective, they acquired Ansinga, which is basically digitalizing the factory, uh, not necessarily looking in a slave labor and so forth. Yeah. Of course, it's a huge, but here just looking from the operational perspective, how can we improve our supply chain um, efficiency? Mm. If you have more tra- as you mentioned, visibility, you would cut costs and efficiency would be higher. So do you believe with the right amount of cash injections, Zilingo would be able to get closer to 90% or maybe somewhere in future 100%? Visibility or transparency? <laughs> Again, uh, I want to make a distinction. It's visibility. Let's visibility. go for the visibility. I yeah. think 90% visibility or maybe 80 plus percent is possible. Um, they are starting with the foot in the door by saying, going to the factory saying, I by plugging my software into your factory operations, I can make you 20-30% more efficient, less defects, basically less wastage. You get more margin, right? So everybody, you get more margin, you get to keep take more money home as a factory owner. That's music to yeah. their ears. 
And that's, that's the only way they're going to let you in the door. If not, they'll be like, why are you coming in and plugging sensors everywhere in my factory? What are you trying to do, right? I mean, this, this, uh, some of these factory owners are, are kind of mom and pop. So you, you need a very strong and clearly and si- clear and simple value proposition to get into them. Right? And once, mm-hmm. they are, once you've shown, shown that you've delivered that, you build enough trust. And that's where you can start boating on other more solutions. Do you want computer vision in your CCTV? Um, do you want like uh, digital scheduling? You know, then you start adding more stuff, and then that's how you get more and more visibility, right? But first, you need to get your foot, your foot in the door through something that is uh, very compelling and very simple to understand. Uh, I think that 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 is how I, I think at least I think that's the lingual strategy today. Of obviously, the, the the pandemic has put a smarter into I mean, it's thrown a spanner into the works, and they had to put that on hold for now, uh, in terms of their expansion. So, but um, we are, we are very we're still very uh, excited to see that they're still holding on to the vision and continue to execute on that. Just a quick question for you, Joseph, as investor, is it actually important to reach that 80, 90, perhaps 100% of um, visibility, or that would not be one of your main kind of requests uh, for the Mm. future? So, I mean, as an investor, I I mean, to be very honest, I mean, we, we, we are investing for financial return. So what gives us a financial return uh, is basically P&L and cash flows, right? So as long as they are able to make money by supplying, I mean, so for now they're supplying the SaaS for free to the factory owners, and then they uh, they make money through working capital financing, right? To to so that the mm-hmm. factory owners can can grow and expand because one of the bottlenecks to do to them um, expanding their their business is, has always been working capital because the brands take what, 90 days to pay them? Yeah. Or, 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 or I think the quickest is 60 days. So I think that's, and then Zilingo is giving them um, receivables, receivables factoring and charging them a small fee on that. Um, and that's how kind of Zilingo is making money today from providing the sets for free. Um, over time, I think as, as the, the, the factory owners get more aware, more educated about technology, that's where I think and then they may be able to charge a SaaS fee. Uh, but I, in terms of when that will happen, I, I, I just don't know when is the horizon. It's just too, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, mm-hmm. So COVID might accelerate some of these changes, these, mm-hmm. t- these changes um, but we just don't know. And, and fashion is not in, in, in a great spot right now. Everybody's just thinking about survival, right? Yeah. I'm not really thinking about growth yet. So w- when we go back to growth mode, then I think that's where we can start to see um, whether Zilingo has a, has a tailwinds to where to to add to add more of these features so they can build more visibility, you know. So it's really adding. I think CCTV computer vision is the key thing. How how are you going to convince those guys to 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 get to give you direct access to their CCTV feed? Most of them don't even have CCTVs. Like they just have a physical uh, a guy standing at the door as a security guard. So you know, this on the ground there are a lot of uh, issues to even before the tech comes in. <laughs> that's what I'm saying so it's a long journey so I just don't know how long it will take but we will get there as long as we keep at it uh, what do you think is your favorite myth about the fashion supply chain um, fast fashion is a paradox in itself because fashion is not fast so <laughs> I don't know I, I, again um, I like the caveat that I'm not a fashion expert Christine here probably okay. knows more about the fashion space than I do because she is been in Lian Fung for a number of years. Um, but, oh, that is, 
Yeah, and Leo. So, I mean, but fast fashion to me was, I mean, is it really fast? I mean, because they're just repeating, they're just uh, mix and matching different styles from, from different years. They're not exactly creating anything new. Yeah, yeah. What, they, what, they, what, they, what is fast though is the marketing. Okay. It's not the fashion. <laughs> they're they rebranding, they're they resending new messages, they're hijacking trends in media to, to create new urges and new motivations to buy new pieces. But the pieces may not be new. Because when I compare, I mean, especially for men, we have yeah. this problem, right? How different does your shirts look from year to year? They're always, oh, yeah, always the same. They're always the same. So yeah. for what, ladies, was, what was wearing the white shirt and the, and the black pants? That's, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's not changed, right? Since like since yeah. the eighteen hundreds, I got no. Yeah. So um, uh, it's just a different card, uh, slight nuances here and there. The buttons, yeah. the pockets are gone. Um, so is it really fast? I mean, for men, I would surely say no. For ladies, there are a lot of options. It's all around mix. It's, I think it's more around mix and matching, and that mm -hmm. is actually the marketing department and not really the the, the supply chain side. So you know, you know what I mean. So I, I, I could be wrong as well. Love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because also, also like the, the the name also comes from the the availability of the SKU itself, which again, as you say, the SKU just may be a variation of another SKU or just yeah. a new color from a, a, an existing style. So yeah. it's just turning out, you know, new combination styles and having them uh, as soon as possible, jumping on trends. Uh, so yeah, they, they tried to call it fast, but I mean, you still, uh, mostly the, the development process, uh, especially the production process is the same. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, how to, to, to postpone the thing that makes the style special and having the, the most generic things ready like the, the same fabric for everyone, you know, like you have a bunch exactly. of fabric already waiting in the, in the factory. But so, so one, one season, one production run for a season is about two months or three months. Uh, well, like yeah, because even the concept of season is, is changed, yeah. right? Like in the traditional yeah. model, you're working for like a collection for a season versus like they're working on drops so they can have styles mm -hmm. ready for this month, next style ready for next month and they move on. But at, at, at the core, back to what you say, you know, like the, the, the fact of starting a, a development from scratch, uh, it's impossible to, to, to do that, at least not having, you know, a, a lot of designers just to, to, to create that amount of, of styles. It's just about knowing how to customize the, the, the styles you already have enough to, 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 to create something, an experience for the customer. Kind of adding to this, I mean, Inditex is supposed to be the mother of fast fashion, pushing out new style per day. I mean, that's, I guess, the closest we can get to the fast fashion, as as you just have rightly mentioned. It's, of course, the small details, like five points of differentiation from existing style, just legally to be allowed to push it out. But I think you'll have a very good point uh, for our next question. What do you see as most innovative recent fashion supply chain initiative, whether it's initiative, startup, or project, what you have seen? Because you guys are receiving so mm. many projects every single mm. day. So um, there's quite, there has been quite a lot going on in the fashion space recently. Um, so supply chain digitalization is one. Um, 
computer vision in terms of virtual trying on of 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 piece of fashion pieces and 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 also like computer vision to sort items and to to kind of like digitalize the SKU data so that you can recommend what the user should to look at or should consider and they buy online. So that 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 has been happening in recent years. I I, I like to talk about what I hope to see, but I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think there is a missing feedback loop in the fashion supply chain. So the feedback loop meaning um you you know what consumers are buying by your sales data, but you do not know what consumers are wearing. Uh, buying a piece doesn't mean I wear it. Mm. I may have worn it once or twice and it's then it gets tossed in my, my corset and I forget about it. So I think to move towards sustainable fashion, what's missing is the feedback loop. What are people, what are you producing that getting, that's getting worn, that's getting utilized? So there's so much waste in, in the fashion, fashion world today because of this lack of feedback loop. We are producing, we are producing things at, at higher and higher volumes without knowing whether they get worn, just to, just to fuel consumerism. But I mean, at I least to me, that's yeah. a, that is a problem. I mean, I, I wear the same polo t-shirts every day. I don't care. So, yeah. but you know, in, you know, there are, there are, there's a group of people that are trying to stay up to date. Uh, sorry, I cut you there, Leo. No, 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 but I think it's mostly uh, a change on the business model, right? As we were discussing yeah. about like fast fashion and all these, like, yeah. you know, trying to, to push for the lowest cost. But the idea is to get you to buy more often and get right. you to buy more things. So really, uh, in that business model, I don't care if you were or not. <laughs> I care if you keep yeah, buying you buy more. It. Because I just want to keep, again, I keep churning out styles and I want you to keep coming back for more, even if you you know, you know already have like three variations of the same style, but you saw a new one and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to get another one of the because same. Because it's only $20. Yeah, so yeah, I'm just going to wear it. And I'll, I'm sure I'll find some, you know, some time to use it. So... Yeah. Um, if do you think what do you think uh, needs to happen for that change in the business model to to happen? Because clearly, I don't look at that it data has, because I don't care, right? It has already happened. COVID has helped us. COVID has sent them a strong message to the brands that you can't just keep producing, and, mm-hmm. and now they're stuck with this large production runs that they are they aren't going to sell. And, yeah. and they had to realize they need to change the, the business model. They can no longer for they can no longer gun for a uh, high production volume based volume based business. They need to go for a margin based business today. Yeah. And, and and to 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 be able to justify mar- like higher margins, big scale selling p- less pieces at higher prices. There needs to be quality. There needs to be more thought put into the design process. You need to produce things that people really want to wear and able to wear for long periods of time. Right, evergreen fashion. You just mix and like again, it's mix and matching, right? Yeah. And you teach people how to mix and match pieces they already have. Mm-hmm. You can again, you can be a a subscription program, a wardrobe advisory program that that customers subscribe to, and it becomes part of your customer loyalty program, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes yeah. a virtuous loop, and you get a feedback loop. You know what people are wearing and what people don't like, and you get feedback directly from customers, and you then feed it into your design and make things people want. Going back to your initial point about how can we track a um, point where consumers, how many times they are using it, what happens. Reflown, they have this new initiative for a, couple, for a year or two where they're uh, looking into using the existing platforms of the brands when a person um, kind of is ready to let go of initial piece what they bought, they can mm. go back on that platform 
resell it. So mm. they would get some bonus to be able to purchase later stuff from the same brand. And the brand can put this one in second uh, secondary markets in um, secondhand um, pre-loved fashion. Mm. Mm. Um, that's the business model, what you're thinking initially. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point there, Christine. So uh, we have been looking at the circular economy, like circular uh, economy business models. So we have mm-hmm. we actually invested in one. It's called Vinted. Right? It's, it's, in, it's in Europe and not in this part of the world, though. But um, circular economies only start to have traction when a, a economy reaches a certain GDP per capita threshold. When, when mm-hmm. they start thinking about, when they start focusing on buying new things, rather than what I have. So I think the economy in Southeast Asia, maybe like emerging Asia, broader emerging Asia today, is still more focused on acquiring new stuff. They have not really gotten to the level of, uh, uh, how is it, so maturity in society where they mm-hmm. start to think about this, this, what I need versus what I have, and I just breach the gap. I do not you know, need to always buy new stuff. So I think it, it really takes a certain economy level before the society gets there and then circular economy can happen and then the brands can use the circular economy as a feedback it's kind of a pseudo feedback loop right and build a loyalty program on top of it moving on to the next question <clears throat> what has been your biggest like what do you call it failure or challenge and what were your main learnings from it so um just broader like life so my biggest Failure in life was um, trying to live up to the perceptions and expectations of others. Okay. So I think in my younger days, um, when you're fresh out of school, you, you, peer pressure is quite strong. So uh, you feel this, this, this pressure to keep up in terms of uh, your, 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 your earning power, your, sta- your, your kind of status, what you wear, what you have. And, you know, just after a few years, I, I came to the realization after after racking on quite a bit of credit card debt, <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 you know, life is, I mean, it's wrong, right? It shouldn't be that way. Right? Um, yeah. and, 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 and I just unrooted myself and I went to Jakarta for two, I worked outside Singapore in Jakarta and Vietnam and Philippines for two years. And that's when I, 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 I recalibrated myself and I learned what's really important. Um, I, I, I think what's really important is you, you develop yourself as a person to be able to value add the society and you don't really care what other people say about you. you. You just have to be very, you just have to develop this high level of self-awareness of what you're good at and what you're not so good at. How do you use your strengths to help other people? So that what it means by adding value, you help other people mm-hmm. and how do you continue continuously um, um, bridge your weaknesses or, or find or get others, get others, get find other people that can complement your weaknesses into your social circle. And then, and then, and that's how you, you compound your value add. And then, you know, and, and over time you get payoffs. As you, as you continue value adding back society, um, your universe will pay you back in terms of a higher salary or better job. So that will come naturally, but it takes time. And, yeah. uh, and I agree with you. Uh, I think that especially, you know, in, in places that are so competitive and, and small by default, like, you know, Manhattan, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, you're kind of surrounded by people that are like in such a hostile culture that uh, you, you end up really losing, uh, you know, perspective of, of the world. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's very valuable to, to say, you know, like maybe disconnect a little bit, go somewhere else, 
put things in perspective with maybe the things that are important in places like Singapore, Manhattan, and New York. Uh, uh, no, Manhattan and Hong Kong are just meaningless anywhere else, right? Like you are trying to impress just uh, someone and then you realize, okay, I'm, I'm, how much am I sacrificing to, to get someone's approval or to be yeah. part of a group? Um, yeah. You're right, like, especially when you're younger, you're very impressionable, right? Like you, you're, you're, when you're new in university, when you're new in the, in the workforce and you're like just overwhelmed by the whole thing and you don't know really um, want what to do with your money uh, or like what can you do with money? Um, it, it can lead you to a lot of bad decisions. So yeah, definitely this is, this is you know, as you say, that this is a high level thing. Like it applies to, to every industry, to, I guess, every person out there. Yeah, it's loosely related to our topic on fashion. <laughs> 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 Again, yeah. So which is, which is why I, I wear the same similar things every day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. But that's also your personal branding. You're basically going for a statement piece, not um, ever changing. That's your personal yeah. brand as well. I, I, I look boring. It's, it's fine, but uh, I, I'm always here to help. So I think that's that's how I want you to want to look consistent. Brand myself. Yeah, yeah consistency, <laughs> right? Consistency, right? You can always hear. I mean, I always reply you if you reach out. So, um, yeah. and I don't really, you don't really care about my appearances. Uh, I just don't want to look too shabby. That's it. <laughs> Fair enough. What yeah. do you suggest to the fellow um, entrepreneurs uh, from your own experience as well as from many, many people you have interviewed for potential investments? What are the failures in those uh, stories and what are the main learnings? Maybe just some kind of like uh, more uh, comprehensive uh, thought there. Mm. So for entrepreneurs out there, um, I like to remind them again that VCs are not really always your friends. I mean, I'm a VC, so that's kind of ironic for me to say it. But they, they, sometimes they forget because VCs can be very friendly because we are in the relationship building business. Yeah. And I would like to emphasize business. Yeah. So um, when times go bad, like now, you, you kind of always expect your, your investors to, owe, to, to, give you, to give you a get-out-of-jail card without any strings attached. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's no free lunch in the world. So everybody's out here trying to make a return. We have our own stakeholders to answer to. We, we have to show that we are, we, are, we, are, we, are doing, we are delivering great results. So obviously, outside the world, we are your friends. But when it comes to work, um, we have fiduciary duties. And sometimes um, we just have to cut losses, right? I mean, I mean uh, fortunately for us, we have, we have not... Need, we have not needed to do that and our portfolio is very small so so it's, it's easy but to also manage it's but it's part of yeah. doing business so yeah, it's part of doing business so, so so um when when your investors come back i mean some of some of them may have to face the half truth of like their investors coming back to say i we can't give you the bridge round i'm, I'm sorry i mean we've gone through the, the case a few times but there's no way we think we can push through this and pull, pull this off or we can push through this to the ic um and instead of blaming external factors, I'm blaming COVID, blaming my investors for not giving me funding, blaming my employees for resigning from the company. It's all their fault. Why don't you look inwards? What, what, what have you done that, that, what could you have done better that, that could have avoided this? Take lessons from every step back, right? Um, and, and try to try to look inwards, increase the level of self-awareness again. And, and, and then even if you fail this time, you'll do much better the next time. Uh, but without the level of self-awareness, that you will never improve. 
So um, I unfortunately again I I've seen this a lot in Singaporeans, <laughs> where where the level of self awareness um, is sometimes not not that high compared to to more hungry um, people from outside Singapore. They might be from less fortunate backgrounds, but um, they hustle a lot more. They learn faster. They they have high levels of self awareness, and, and they're just mm. more rooted to the ground, right? You know, but um, again, it's a message to my fellow countrymen that you're you're not special, right? So you, everybody, you're not don't think you're special. So try to, and, and once you're able to understand that you're not special, then you start to learn more about yourself, yeah. and your strengths and weaknesses, and what you need to do to always get to the next level. Mm. So, I mean, again, yeah, a bit philosophical, fine. but <laughs> yeah. So I think that's my message to, to entrepreneurs, founders, and, and basically yeah, people that are also early early in their work, in, in their careers. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. I mean, it's very good thing for me to think about it as well right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have setbacks. I've been rejected from countless jobs as well so not, nothing new here yeah how do you continue to learn and stay on top of the things because you mentioned this continuous learning so i would yeah. love to know what your, yeah. what your task so um again it goes back to self-awareness you need to really understand yourself or increase your understanding of yourself over time and i, I find that the best way to do that is to start by learning what you don't like. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when, when you know what you don't like, you start to narrow down the things and then you start to come to the things that you maybe like. And then you, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you really work on those things that you like, those areas, those domains that you're interested in and, 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 and devour as much information as you can over that, over those, in those domains. And then you start, and from those domains, you can, and you can start to extend your knowledge to peripheral knowledge spaces. Um, true first principles, right? So it's more of a thought process, um, and, and and over time, you your your not your your knowledge bank will compound. It's kind of like putting investment, investing your savings, and there's interest. Mm. So the more you the more you learn, the more it compounds. Because if you only have one data point, there's only so much you can do with it. You have two, you, you can permutate, but again, not that much. Well, what happens if you have three or four? Ah, the permutation starts to exponentially increase. So I, I, I think being multidisciplinary uh, is very important today. And, and, to, and mm. with so much information out there, it's very hard to filter what you need to consume and what, what to ignore. So again, focus on what you're naturally drawn to. Yeah, That's or even I, just if it's something that you, you're not natural, at least get certain awareness of it. For example, you, you get a good example. Everybody's talking about you need to, everything is apps, you need to start learning a, a coding. Yes, yeah. I, I think it's good to have certain awareness of how these things yeah. happen. But if you're just Correct. not gifted or you're not good at it, you're not enjoying it, you could use that energy. You could use that time, Correct. motivation into something that you are really good at, you know, and be a good yeah. at it and have an awareness. Again, like, again, everything. How are they structured? Like, how, what do they need? Like, how do I put my, my idea, my concept into an app? But I don't have to yeah. do it at the end of the day because, again, everybody is learning how to code, so any of them can do it, right? Yes, you're exactly right there, Leo. So I was a nosy parker. I like to poke around in people's mm-hmm. notes. We have this confluence database where people com- like document all their projects. And I go in and read, I go in to read what the tech team documents over the weekend as a pastime. Just mm-hmm. so that I, I gain awareness, like what you say, Leo, of what's happening in tech, 
although I may not understand 60% of the things I'm reading, yeah. but I get an awareness. How you are selecting what you want to learn. Okay, one yeah. thing is natural. Is there anything you would like to suggest to our listeners? My, my advice to the listeners out there would be to, the first thing you need to, you need to master or you need to hone is to learn how to learn. Kind of, kind of odd, right? But to learn how to learn, you need frameworks and you need, you need like um, taught, taught, taught systems, right? So first principles is one of them. You have systems-based thinking. There, there are a few books out there on systems-based thinking. Um, those are important to read, to understand, and to practice daily until it becomes muscle memory. And, um, and I also rec- highly recommend this book by Rolf Dobelli called The Art of Thinking Clearly. It's very bite-sized, very easy to read, keep it a bit side, but it has 100 plus bias, cognitive biases in there, how people mm-hmm. make, make bad decisions. So you read them over and over, and then you, re- and you remind yourself not to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you become, your thought process becomes clearer over time. So I think it goes back to, to refining your thought process. Uh, and then once you have a very, once you have done that, then it becomes easier to learn or to, to, to get knowledge on new domains. So to learn how to mm. learn. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. And, 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 and just a tribute to the, to the guy who just passed away. Uh, oh, I can't really see yeah. it. Clayton, Christen, Clayton Christensen. So I, I, keep it on my, I keep it on my table oh. um, just to read whenever I have 10 minutes. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. We're running out of time, but really, really appreciate your um, your thoughts and your perspective to life right now. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to be in touch with you and very, very appreciate you coming uh, on the episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Bye. Bye. to see uh, you are in that amazing background area there. Uh, yeah. Um, just cover, up, cover up my messy room. <laughs> <laughs>